Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. It is 11 o'clock on March 8th. We are nearing the end of our legislative session. And so once again, I have Tallahassee Bureau reporter Emily Mahoney here, and we are going to talk about the latest things coming out of the legislature regarding education. So Emily, here we are. It's the end, almost the end. And um, you've got to be tired. How's it going over there? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been quite the quite the last couple of weeks, but um, definitely no shortage of excitement up here. I guess we can't talk about anything without talking about school safety. And the debates were lengthy, and they've seemed like they've gone on endlessly for days and days. And we finally got to a bill. Can you sort of recap the highlights of the bill and? obviously focusing on the stuff that caused the most debate. Sure, yeah. So yesterday on the House floor, uh, the representatives debated for eight hours straight with no breaks, um, other than a couple, you know, breaks on the floor to have some of the representatives who were leaving give little farewell speeches. But other than that, it was eight hours straight of debate. Almost every single member stood up and gave their piece about why they were voting in which direction, yes or no. And it was, it was a pretty, incredible day. You could really feel, I think, the weight of the decision. Um, a lot of members said that this was the hardest vote they had ever taken, or they believe this was the most important vote they will ever take in the House. And you could really kind of feel the the weight of the moment, especially because there were a couple of Parkland fathers whose uh, children were murdered in the Parkland shooting. Uh, and they were sitting up in the gallery watching the debate. And I just... There was really a feeling of this being historic. Um, of course, the most controversial piece of this bill um, was the piece that that would create an optional program to arm school staff. Uh, of course, as we've discussed, they they have amended that so that teachers who exclusively perform classroom duties is how it's worded um, would not be eligible to participate in this program to carry guns. And so that's been causing confusion and and members were debating how many teachers would be eligible. But but I think the most, the biggest point on that was made by the Black Caucus. And the Black Caucus is very against this idea. Um, they're very concerned that because of Florida's stand your ground law, um, that teachers who feel intimidated by black students, um, because of just subconscious racism could shoot and kill students. Um, and they're afraid they, they all had kind of this ominous foreboding tone that, you know, if you vote for this, just be ready. You know, there's going to be students of color are going to suffer from this. And, and they do have a point. I mean, data, we found data that shows that, uh, black students do receive disproportionate amounts of suspensions and disciplines and things like that. Um, and they talked about having to talk to their kids when they're young about what it's like to grow up black. And it became a very somber discussion. Um, and one that, you know, they were really trying to drive this point home. Uh, and ultimately a few members of the black caucus did not vote with them, but most of them, I think they probably made up the biggest group of at least the Democrats who voted against it. Here I've pulled a soundbite from Representative Bobby DuBose, who made this point really clear. He talked about Trayvon Martin and all the other things making 
black families feel like they have to have the talk with their kid, knowing that how to deal with people with guns and how to how to hold themselves in public and and their concerns about having teachers now having guns. So let's just take a quick listen to that. You'll never know how that feeling of just needing, not wanting to, but needing to have that talk with your little black boy and men so they won't just, so they could just get home safely. I understand that something needs to be done, but this inconsiderate notion leads most black parents as a student at school across the country, every black daughter or son, mother or father, aunt, uncle, or teacher will now have to recite the same. Just get home safely. What you need to understand is that our just get home safely conversation will increase even more in our families from parents who send their children to a place that is supposedly supposed to be safe. This this conversation that Representative DuBose and others brought forward was pretty much unheard of on the, in the legislature lately. I, you don't really hear that kind of racially motivated conversation. I mean, they really f- brought to the floor their feelings and angst about being black Americans and what it means to them. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't in there with them, but I can only imagine that it was heavy for everyone there. It really was. And it created a a unique break in the Democratic caucus that you don't usually see. Um, I mean, typically the Democrats don't have a lot of power in the House already. So I think for the most part, at least from what I've seen, they try to stay fairly united. But there was a a pretty tense moment um, in the Democratic caucus meeting yesterday morning. The Democrats all meet usually an hour before they go to the floor to decide what positions they want to take as a body and and to discuss different issues. And uh, there were some... I mean, they, just the emotions are raw in this debate on all sides. Um, and there are some of the Democratic lawmakers like uh, uh, Representative Moskowitz, who represents Parkland, and he gave an extremely emotional speech on the floor. People were crying in the galleries. I mean, and this is after eight hours of talking about this, and he was still able to kind of bring out this emotion in this debate. And he was talking about going to the funerals of the students and how we needed to do something. And this is a compromise and this is the right thing to do. And he had this quote that was like, you know, this isn't a hard decision. All we have to do is push a red button or a green button. Putting your kid in the ground is hard. This is not hard. And it was so emotional. And they feel so strongly, um, the, the Democrats, especially from that area, that this was a really that this was a good bill and that it wasn't perfect and they they don't like the the program to arm school staff but that this you know was taking some common sense um gun restrictions and and was a step in the right direction and so they broke with the the members of the black caucus who are mo- who are also in the democratic party and um you could see that on the floor definitely it seems like at some point they were agreeing with some of the points that some of the most conservative Republicans were making. And and I'll bring up Senator Baxley, and I pulled a little quote from him too, about how it's important to have someone in a school who will stand up for the kids when nobody else is there yet even. So here, let's listen to Senator Baxley and what he had to say. In uh, this compassionate and passionate debate, 
we've heard that we don't need more guns on school grounds. Well, apparently, on Valentine's Day, we needed one person that cared, that wasn't afraid, that was fearless. We needed one person with a firearm because that's the only thing. I just ask you to look at the first five minutes. The first five minutes. Who's there? What's going to happen? Because in seven minutes, it's over. What What's interesting about Senator Baxley's comments to me is that, you know, we've had teachers who stood forward with nothing but their own bodies. That's why they have a name to attach to this whole program, the Guardians, because there was a coach who put his own life on the line with not a gun, with not a, a vest to protect him and, and to take care of the kids. And so if they put somebody in the schools who might even have one gun, as Senator Baxley says, and stands up, maybe they can stop the shooting. And, and that took off. That was a huge point that people really raised during this whole debate. And, and I was just wondering... Definitely. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, you know, what you heard from that perspective, because it seemed like even some Democrats agreed with that. Definitely. Yeah, I think I think there has been almost a consensus in the legislature that um, there needs to be someone on campus who can fight back. I think the question is who? Um you know, a lot of the Democrats disagree with the uh, the Guardian program, formerly known as the Marshall program. Um, as you said, it's named after Coach Aaron Feiss, who was the football coach who was killed at Parkland. And, um, and it seems that uh, everyone wants someone on campus, like I said, who can fight back. But Democrats would rather it be the school resource officers. Um, but the problem is the school resource officers are much more expensive than teachers who are trained through the Guardian program. And there, there is a lot of money dedicated in this bill. There's $400 million in this bill. Um, and it's coming from either uh, we're seeing the budget come out now and we're seeing cuts in all different kinds of areas. They've pulled money from all these different places to put this together. Um, but at the same time, I've heard estimates that each school resource officer, uh, if you include benefits and everything, it, it, each one costs about a hundred thousand dollars. I've actually they want heard one on every single I've actually campus. heard more than that because I've heard some people talk about, you know, it's not just the officer, it's his gun, it's his car. The things that you need to offer them to put them in a position to actually do their job and do it well. Totally, yeah. And that there are definitely huge startup costs um, that I don't think is included in the $100,000 estimate. So, so yeah, this, this is really expensive. And so uh, schools are now under this bill would be required to have somebody on campus um, who is armed. And so that can either be a school resource officer uh, through the local sheriff's office or through the, the district's police department, or it can be someone who is trained in the Guardian program. And so that's causing some, I think, some heartburn in school districts. Um, they're wondering if they're going to have enough money to hire a school resource officer um, in case they don't want to participate in the Guardian program because, like we've talked about, it's optional on the part of the districts. If the district doesn't want to have armed school staff in their schools, they do not have to participate. Um, and so I, I know that you and I have both looked into this. Oh, absolutely. And what we've found is that a lot of the larger school districts, they want to not participate and they want to put the armed officers in there. And, and like I talked to people in Seminole County, they say they already have an armed officer at every school and they're just going to continue to do that. And any additional money they get will 
be to put more in there. Palm Beach County has their own police force and they will continue to have their own police force and they're not interested in participating either. Miami, Broward, Hillsboro, Pinellas, they're all taking that stand. But if at the end of the day, they can't afford to put that extra officer on every campus, I think they're also just kind of looking to see what else can they do? Are they going to have to cut programs or other people in order to make it happen? One thing the bill doesn't have is a deadline on it. So that could be a saving grace. Yeah, I've heard that uh, this bill has this bill would go into effect immediately upon signage. So I think there's going to be some kind of some scrambling going on um, with local law enforcement uh, agencies and school districts to coordinate and try to figure figure this out and, and to scrape together funding if they need to. But it's definitely a big question. And um, one thing that's been interesting is, as you said, most of the large uh, urban school districts have have pretty much said straight out that they will not opt into this program. And and that's one of the big points um, on the supporters of this program is that it's optional. Um, but on the other hand, we do see some other districts who are already making moves on this. Uh, Brevard County is one of them, comes to mind, that the sheriff had suggested that they wanted to go through with this. I don't believe the school district has completely agreed to it yet. But uh, And that's been a major point by some of the lawmakers who helped craft this language. Uh, Senator Galvano, I, I caught up with him yesterday, and he was is one of the main people kind of leading this legislation through and helped draft everything. And he said that, look, you know, there are school districts that are already trying to arm school personnel. And what we're doing is we're putting in some pretty strict requirements to participate. And so if anything, this is just making a program that's already happening safer because under under this bill, um, to participate and to get a gun, you would have to go through 132 hours of firearm training plus diversity training plus uh, psychological testing, fitness testing, uh, background checks, things like that. And so that's definitely uh, a strong argument from from their perspective. What's astounding to me is as we've gone through all this, this went from like zero to 100 so so much that, you know, we're talking about teachers with guns or some sort of school employee with guns. And, and yet, you know, that was just a small part of the whole package. There's mental health services and a whole variety of other things that they were actually talking about before uh, the shooting actually even took place because they just recognized the need. And so we've come to the point now where this has almost been totally encapsulated by that one piece of, of this very long bill. And and it's just kind of fascinating to me, though, as well, that mm-hmm. they didn't talk about some of the other things that, that those students from Parkland came in and asked them to do. There were a couple of things. One of them was to not arm teachers. Another was to talk about the assault weapons ban, which they did not discuss and really isn't an education thing. But it was students coming forward and, and giving their point of view. And it was fascinating to me that as so many people were saying, let's listen to the students, there was one lawmaker who said, you know, why really should we be listening to the students? We don't need to let them decide. And that's Representative Elizabeth Porter, who is on her way out of the legislature. And I just want to share this quote from her because it was just, I don't know, it just captured my attention. And it made me wonder a little bit about why she took this position while everybody else was talking about the need to compromise and to come together and to listen to students. So here it is. We've been told that we need to listen to the children. I do what the children ask. Are there any children on this floor? Are there any children making laws? Do we allow the children to tell us that we should pass a law that says no homework? Or you finish high school at the age of 12 just because they want it so? 
No, the adults make the laws because we have the age, we have the wisdom, and we have the experience to make these laws. We have to make laws with our heads and not with our emotions because emotions will lead us astray. However, our common sense and our rationale will not. I don't know. I just was taken by Representative Porter's comments, and I don't know if you were or not. It just sort of shocked me, her tone and her her demeanor when everybody else was trying, at least, to be friendly. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think she kind of stood out in that in that sense. Um, and it, it, you're right. This is only one piece of a huge bill, and um, this one piece of it has definitely gotten the most attention, but... Uh, as we talked about, I think last time there is a lot of money in here for more um, mental health programs in schools, which is something that the legislature has kind of had to face the music on, that they really haven't funded this enough in the past. Um, it also has uh, money for what they're calling school hardening, which is basically schools to fortify themselves. So against uh, someone who's trying to cause harm, so making the school single entry point only. So there's only one place where you can go in and out. Um, people have talked about bulletproof glass. People have talked about metal detectors. So that this is a huge bill, but it's been interesting to see the, leg- the legislature kind of talk about the fact that they have been ignoring, the- they recognize that they've been ignoring mental health for a while and that you know, they, there have been cuts to mental health programs and now they're, they're kind of reversing that and they're having to realize that, that this is an important component. Um, of course, there's always worry that we're lumping all people with mental illnesses into the same basket. Just because a kid is anxious doesn't mean he's violent. But, um, I think there's, you know, of course, no one's not having more money for mental health programs in schools can't be a bad thing. And even if it helps kids who never would have been violent in the first place, um, I think a lot of, there are definitely a lot of mental health advocates who are, who are celebrating this increase in funding and attention. Yeah. We just, like you said, have to make sure that they understand that they haven't solved the whole problem and that it's a huge problem. You go onto lots of these school campuses and talking about getting down to one entry point on a campus is not as easy as you might think if you look at some of the Florida open campuses. There's there's just so much to do, and there's even with $400 million, barely enough to get started. So that should be a really long conversation that has just begun, and at least they began. So you got to give them credit for that, I guess. So, but there's more. Definitely. Yeah, there was, there was a really poignant moment yesterday. Um, yes, after they passed the bill, after eight hours of debate, like I said, Representative Moskowitz gave a very moving speech, moved a lot of people to tears, um, kind of reminding everyone why, why they're doing this and how we got here in the first place and talking about the, the horrific images of the Parkland shooting. And then they took the vote. It passed 67 to 50. So a pretty decent margin there. Um, and the legislature, the legislature or the, the floor of the house rather stood up on its feet, clapped, um, and, uh, house speaker Richard Corcoran looked up into the gallery where one of the Parkland fathers, uh, was standing and he looked at him and he said, thank you so much for being here. This is just a beginning. And that was, it was, it was a really poignant moment. I mean, this, this bill has been so just talked about all over the country and all over the world. I, I went on a BBC radio show to talk about the politics in Florida, which I never thought I would do. And it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if this really is a beginning or if this will lose momentum over time, you know, in the next session when they don't have a shooting happen 
hopefully in the middle of the session that kind of forces them to deal with this issue. So we'll see if how much momentum it has. But the Parkland students sure seem to not be uh, going quiet anytime soon. Well, one thing we haven't mentioned at all is that this bill is not a law yet and that it still has to go to a governor who has expressed some reservations about pieces of it, has a high NRA rating when the NRA doesn't support pieces of it, and we don't know exactly what he's going to do with it. And I'm not asking you for your predictions. I'm going to just leave it there because we have we don't want to run too long with our commentary and we have a couple of other pieces that we want to talk to. But, I mean, the governor did say something to you, but it wasn't much, right? Right. Yesterday after the cabinet meeting, he just said he would review whatever comes to his desk and he would discuss it with the Parkland families is what he said. And all 17 Parkland families signed a letter in support of this of this bill. And so that... That's hard to ignore from the governor's perspective, but uh, he's not giving away any secrets yet, so we'll have to watch and see. When you say all 17 families, you're talking about of the victims. I just want to point that out because there's a lot more than 17 families in Parkland. So, Yes, definitely. So the, the legislature also did send House Bill 7055 to the governor's desk, and that has been amended and re-amended so many times. Do you even know what's in it anymore? It's kind of hard to keep track. <laughs> it really was hard to keep track. Yes, I mean, so they did add a pretty interesting piece uh, right toward the very end. Um, it was added on in the Senate, but right before they sent it to the House for final approval, which they did. And it would allow, it basically created a new funding source uh, for school vouchers. It's um, It allows tenants of commercial property, essentially, to direct the sales tax from their rent into the the state's bank account for a couple different voucher and scholarship programs um, instead of going into the general revenue fund, which is where it would originally go. So, And that's something that we kind of saw before with the House's tax package, but it looks like it really has momentum now, and especially because it's in 7055. So what we saw in that bill then was a large expansion of tax credit scholarships. It also included the HOPE scholarship for bullied students, and it took out the language for having to substantiate the fact that you were bullied. It took out, or it added in the um, reading scholarship program for students who fail the third grade reading test at the state level, and giving them some money so that they can go ahead and get some extra tutoring or, or services outside of school to help them learn to read. So there's a lot of stuff like that moving through to really expand school choice options and to make it so that it's supported by tax credit programs and other other revenue sources that might have, in some person's minds, actually been going to the public school system. And that's why it's controversial, right? Right, right. Because it's not going to the general revenue fund, it's being directed away from it. And so, um, of course, voucher programs are controversial. <laughs> They're extremely politicized. And, uh, you know, those who oppose this would say that other, I mean, and they're they're correct that that money would go to the general revenue fund, and thus it could have been used for you know traditional public schools. And so uh, we're they they are creating definitely new funding sources for these. And like you were talking about the Hope Scholarship for bullied students, that also creates a new funding source for people to direct a hundred and five dollar donations when they buy a car. They check a box on a form, and part a piece of the sales tax that they would have paid, like I said, a hundred and five dollars, then goes into a bank account to fund the Hope Scholarship. The bill also included that union language that teachers and union members have been really frightened of, and and we have to wait and see what it's going to do, and a whole variety of other things. Um, 
The In God We Trust, my favorite bill from the legislative session, because I'm not quite sure what it does except for put a sign in front of every school saying In God We Trust. And um, But it also removed a bunch of stuff that the Senate wanted, which is now popping up in a bunch of other bills towards the end of the session, you know, just final versions of other bills that still haven't been adopted as they move back and forth between the House and Senate. Uh, we don't have much time left mm-hmm. for these things to happen, do we? No, no. And yeah, you're right. They took out the requirement that uh, two, uh, two graduation requirements the senators wanted. Uh, one was that they learn CPR. Uh, that's no longer a requirement in the bill. Uh, and one was a, a course in financial literacy, like balancing checkbooks and learning how to apply for loans. Uh, that's been a longtime project for Senator Huckel. Uh, she wants to make it a graduation requirement and it got taken out of seven, both of those got taken out of 7055. Um, and, don't seem to be popping up anywhere else. I mean, the financial literacy course um, is is a standalone bill, but it was watered down to be only an elective. Um, and Senator Huckel told me she's definitely not satisfied with that and that she will try again next session, essentially. Well, I guess that's what we're going to be left with, a lot of try again next session on anything that doesn't make it through, whether it's a Schools of Hope public school funding change or financial literacy requirements as opposed to just the class that basically already exists in some form in economics. So I guess we just keep watching the budget we have through the whole weekend to see what happens and then we're done, right? Yeah, I guess so. I can't believe it. But uh, yeah, the the final touches on the budget are expected to come out today and there's a 72-hour uh cooling off period, I guess is what it's called. So we're expected possibly to come in on Sunday, maybe on Monday to kind of get that finished up, which of course is an extension beyond when the session was technically supposed to end, which is Friday of this week. Um, But hopefully they can get that done. And then I guess that's the end of session. I don't know what life after session even looks like anymore. We will have a roundup wrap up that we'll get to do this one more time. And maybe we'll be able to figure out what actually went through and what didn't parsing through the language in each individual bill if there are any others that pass and then we'll let you take a vacation i think right (laughs) (laughs) that would be wonderful and and i'll just keep visiting this local school districts and see what the fallout is around here because i don't get to go to tallahassee and i'm glad you are there thank you again for um, being part of this thank you yes thanks jeff always always glad to be here that's the end of our podcast If you'd like to participate in this conversation, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To follow the latest in breaking news on Florida education, please visit our blog, tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. And again, please continue to rate our podcast on iTunes. It really does help bring new listeners to hear what we're talking about. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening.